So Money Episode 705, Marla Mattinson, Relationship and Intimacy Experts. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Happy Monday. All right. So it would normally cost us $120,000 to work with our guest today. (laughs) Our guest's clients include millionaire entrepreneurs, Academy Award-winning actors, Grammy-winning stars, but I have somehow convinced her to join us on So Money to give us her best advice, specifically around succeeding in your relationship when it comes to financial challenges of all shapes and sizes. Marla Mattinson is here. She's a relationship and intimacy expert. She specializes in coaching entrepreneurial couples, but her advice, I think, translates to all types of relationships. And here's what's most effective about Marla's advice. It is data-driven. She uses her neuroscience and math backgrounds to help clients transform their negative habits. And get this, if you're wondering why it's so hard to be in a relationship, Marla says it's because as human beings, we're kind of hardwired to sabotage them. (laughs) But she has good news too, including simple and effective ways to find peace with your money in your relationship. Here is Marla Mattinson. Marla Mattinson, welcome to So Money, my friend. It's great to hear your voice. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Farnoosh. I am really excited to be here. All the way from LA, I can hear you smiling. I'm so <laughs> I jealous. <am> smiling. <laughs> as I as I record, where I'm experiencing a nor'easter again, <laughs> <laughs> sending some sunshine your way. <laughs> thank you, thank you. You and I met at a conference that my friend Chris Winfield hosts uh, quite regularly called Unfair Advantage. I he's a super friend, super supporter of this show. And he's actually been a guest on this show. He's a super connector. He's a super is like his superlative. Everything is super, super. Chris is <laughs> and <just> awesome. And <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and he is huge in the sense that he loves to connect people. Um, he connected us and particularly people in the entrepreneurial space, in the media space. And what drew me to you, Marla, is, well, you have just like this amazing aura. You're very um, personable and sweet and endearing. I also am obsessed with what you do for a living, which is helping people in their relationships. I sort of feel like that is the one area, at least in my life, that I never got a rule book for. I went to school. I went to grad school. I learned how to negotiate my raises. I learned how to buy a house. I learned how to, uh, ever, you know, stay healthy, stay fit. There's like so many things that you can teach yourself or that your parents tell you about. But I feel like we sort of forget about the important ways to maintain a relationship. I don't have to tell you the divorce statistics, but even like staying married is hard. Um, staying in a relationship is is layered and challenging. And so what, I guess, drew you to this occupation? Was it a personal calling? It's so 
amazing how this all kind of manifested over time because one, you know, like Chris Winfield actually loves to say, you connect the dots looking backwards. You can't, you can't do it going forwards. And I started back in the early nineties as a doula helping women through labor and delivery of their babies and postpartum. And so I was invited into, as you know, one of the most intimate times in a couple's life. And I was asked individually by each partner, hey, how do I handle her when she's like this? And how do I handle him when he's doing that? And so it naturally turned into coaching. And so that was my big start is just really working intimately with couples in their own home on how to communicate with each other, how to recreate intimacy after they had a child and how to really up level their levels of communication together. Because as you know, if you don't communicate with your partner, little resentments turn into big resentments. Mm -hmm. And then those turn into big problems that snowball into, I think I want out, you know, or I'll just check out or withdraw. And so I naturally had an affinity for seeing very logically, oh, this is what that person is saying. This is what this person is saying. Oh, I, I, I'm like the decoder. I yes. could help explain, oh, no, 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 no. Here's what she really means. Oh, no, no, no. Here's what he really means. And then just the love started to flow. And so then I ended up, you know, big accident. I rolled my car down to Panga yes. Canyon in Los Angeles. And anybody who knows Topanga Canyon knows that's a scary place to roll your car down. And I walked out without a scratch. My car was totaled. But and you I had an out-of-body experience, I read. I did. Yes, you read that. Yes. I had an out-of-body experience. So as the car started to roll down the hill, I left my body and was staring through the rear window with sort of my body flying out the car in my mind. And I was watching myself roll down the canyon and I thought, oh, this is how people die, but not me. I'm not dying. And I thought, all right, God, if you want me on this earth, you better come down here and help. Right. So that's my very aggressive nature coming in (laughs) and let's make this thing happen. And so, um, you know, the car stopped rolling down the hill at some point. I was upside down, hanging by the seatbelt. And my God, I had to climb up the hill by myself, you know, in my socks and leaves and sticks in my hair and, and, and someone saw me go over. And so they pulled over. And so I had a real awakening of what would I do if I had a whole nother life to live? And I was really happy with my life, but I was called into mathematics and neuroscience at that point. And that's when I went back to school and studied mathematics and neuroscience at UCLA. And then I got a master's degree in mathematics. And I ended up teaching high school math with inner city kids for seven years, all the while still coaching couples and families. And I moved into business coaching and everything just naturally went, led one thing into the next. You've actually and- synergized the math with the, with the love advice. Talk about that because I think that you, you talked earlier about how you have this very logical side of your brain and I completely relate. My dad's a <laughs> physicist and I did much better on the math portion of the SATs than verbal, believe it or not. <laughs> um, but I think what really separates you from the crowd of so-called you know relationship experts, love experts is that you really bring a lot of science to your coaching. Yes. What do you mean? Like how does that actually – how does that work? So 
I am a firm believer in information. When we understand why we're doing something, it's really helpful to come out of that old uh, habitual pattern in a way that's actually loving towards ourselves and towards our partners. So if I understand that my partner is doing this action because of some old programming from a science perspective, from a neurological perspective or a biological perspective, I can have a lot more compassion for him than if I just think he's being a jerk, right? If I think, oh, well, why can't he treat me with more kindness and respect and compassion when I'm struggling? right? Versus, oh, maybe he's activated by something. Maybe there's something going on for him because something I said activated something inside of him that had his neurological pathways activate from something from childhood. So we are, and I work with my partner, he's my love and business partner, and we do coaching together and we basically do everything together. And so we do a lot of research and the, the Gottman Institute from John Gottman has been doing research for, you know, 30, 40 years on couples. And that's a really firm foundation into what we teach and what we do. And beyond that, because I studied math and neuroscience, I understand, you know, something from the fight, flight, or freeze response that we have in our brains that we actually view our partners as a threat when we're in a conflict. And so there's no saber tooth tiger chasing us anymore. But instead, what we have is the person we love the most is presenting like a threat. And so instead of responding with kindness and love and openness, which doesn't happen naturally for any of us as humans, we typically, our first response is something negative. It's either blaming or judging or even withholding or lying or making ourselves wrong. There's some pattern that happens in our brain that tells us very quickly, this is not safe. And so Mm -hmm. instead of opening and being vulnerable and soft with our love, we tend to do the negative habitual patterns that all humans do. That's our first response is something negative. And if we let that fly out our mouth, now we have a problem, right? The first response is internal. It's a cascade of chemicals that happens in our brain that sends a message to say, safety is not happening right now. So now we need to either shut it down, shut it out or shut it off. And one of those three responses is going to tell us what to do very, very quickly. Like even something simple, like let's say, let's say you're trying to lose a little weight or something and your partner says, Hey, let's go out for pizza tonight. And you can tell that they're really happy. They're excited about it. You want them to be happy, right? But your first internal response is, shit, that's a threat to my, you know, what I want to do. So now I have an internal response that says no, but I have a conflict inside of myself because I really want to say yes, because I love my partner and I want him to be happy. Sounds like we're just hardwired to be terrible at relationships because conflict is inevitable in any relationship, small, medium, and large sized. And if if our instinct is to kind of attack in any situation where we feel vulnerable or or, you know, weakened, 
That's yes. like that's basically you're going to be employed for the rest of your life because <laughs> I've you chosen nailed the it, wrong though. industry apparently. No, you definitely did not. You are in the perfect industry, but you are correct. We are absolutely programmed to be terrible at relationships. And so if we never learn that that first response is just biological hmm. and learned, right? Because we watched our parents do those kind of responses. We watched our grandparents. We watched all of our friends and family. And unless we consciously choose to use that material as a way to what we call open the vault, which is we open our hearts in the moment of conflict to tell the truth, to say, babe, oh my gosh, I love you so much. I want you to have your pizza because I can tell you're super excited about it. And I really want to eat something healthy tonight. So can we find something that works? That only comes from knowing yourself, from having awareness, from choosing consciously the words that you're going to use with your partner that are going to bring you closer together rather than saying something like, oh, pizza again. I don't want to do, you know, to make them How wrong. How could you suggest something so mean? <laughs> right. Exactly. Why you trying to make me fat. Right. Um, Marla, you are very high in demand. You work with a lot of entrepreneurs who I would, you know, it makes sense because these are the people who have what seems to be the least amount of time in their lives to really be focusing on anything else. I was watching a TED talk the other day that said that there are like five burners in life, work, family, friends, your health, and sleep. And you only get to choose three. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Really? Wow. Like you can do the other, you can do all five, but you're, you're half asking it. You could do three really well. Two are going to fall off the wayside. So I think for a lot of people, it's like your work, your family, maybe your sleep or your, you know, or not sleep. So you maybe it's like your, your health. You go to the gym. I don't know. That, that's a hard one to choose, but I feel like the relationships often are the ones that become the, the sacrifice in many people's lives, especially those who have very busy careers. Would you say? I think that that is absolutely true. One thing that happens often in relationships is that we put our relationship on the back burner because we know that they love us. We know that they're sort of always going to be there for us, especially when we're married because we're like, it's, it's too hard to get out, right? So you know you're going to stay in unless things are really terrible, right? So we're going to stay in our relationships pretty much. And the issue there is it's not going to bring you the satisfaction, the pleasure, the enjoyment that is capable of happening in your relationship unless you pay attention to it. So we like to teach things to turn our attention towards our relationship, to fill that well to what we call the union between the couple, right? So there's the personal needs of each individual, and then there's a union between the two. And what we do is we feed the union. So for example, um, you know, like if your husband, for example, suggested pizza, knowing that you like to eat healthy, that he could suggest, hey, babe, I'm super craving pizza right now and I want to support you in what you're doing. So I would love to go to this place because I know they also have some healthy options. How about that? Right. That's a way to um, not only ask for your personal needs to be met, but to include your partner in having the union's needs be met. Because when we make it what we call a deposit in the union, then later when things are challenging, we can make a withdrawal from the union of the relationship and it still is sustainable. I want to get to your personal 
financial stories, but I have to also ask you because you're a relationship expert and money often is a topic of contention in relationships. What tends to be your approach to couples? And I'm sure you've experienced, you've counseled many couples on this when they're having issues around money, whether it's because, gosh, there's so many angles, right? It's like, well, maybe she makes more and he feels uh, like his ego is bruised. They can't communicate or they fight over their spending and saving behaviors. They, one person might be hiding some spending as, you know, financial infidelity as it's called. What do you see most in your practice and what tends to be your general advice around couples and money? I love this is a huge question. I know in 12 minutes. (laughs) Right. Okay. Let's do the fast version. So here's the thing. I work with a lot of couples where she makes more and, um, that's, that's a, an issue of real vulnerability for both partners, for the woman to be able to feel like she can soar. And Julian, my partner, he plays the role of what we call power beta. So I'm the alpha in the business and he's the power beta, which is he is a badass who really holds space for me, for the business, for all of our couples, for the finances, for everything. And I'm the alpha in the business, right? I'm the face of the business. I lead the business. In our relationship, it's the opposite, he's the alpha in the relationship and I'm the power beta. And so that switch is a really important shift because if you're always wearing what we call the business hat, Mm -hmm. then when you come home, it's very hard to have a loving, intimate connection and and increase your passion over time if you're constantly wearing your work hat at your house. So that's, that's number one is really choosing, especially when you work together, right? Or if you're both entrepreneurs, you really need to make sure that you're choosing to have non-work time together. That's, that's number one, different spending and saving habits where you get hiding of money and pockets of money. You call it financial infidelity. That to me has to do with communication. And that is the a number one thing that I deal with. And fear, right? Because you're afraid of being... Uh, discovered as somebody who has a a, a tendency to buy things. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yes, fear, so fear of being found out for who you really are, right? And so this is the thing. If you have a tendency to spend or overspend and you and your partner doesn't know about it or every time they find out about it, there's shame that arises in your, in in you because your partner is shaming you in some way, then what happens is it starts building the platform of, I can't share with my partner. So that's the unhealthy cycle, which is one partner does something unhealthy and then the other partner chooses consciously or unconsciously also an unhealthy response. The only way to come out of an unhealthy habit pattern like that is one partner has to choose to be kind and loving and compassionate in the middle of the pattern or after the pattern is over to come back and say, wow, we didn't handle that amazing. How about we set ourselves up for success for next time this happens, that when you overspend, that you come to me and you share with me, you know, I overspent and I want to share it with you. 
and I want to have it be received with love and compassion. And then the other partner to do their best to say, well, first response, thank you for bringing this to me. Thank you for sharing this with me. How can we now work with this either to return it or to maybe, (laughs) right, or to possibly keep it and then not do it next time, right? To, to pre-plan how you're going to respond and how you're going to act in the future and that you can catch it sooner and sooner. So if you are an overspender that you can actually text your partner, I'm at the store and I'm thinking about spending. Please right? pick so, me up. <laughs> yes, please help. Send us, send somebody. Send to get a me, team. Right? Yes, because what happens is if you can turn towards your partner in those moments of deep vulnerability where you feel like you're in your guilt and shame pattern, and instead of following all the way through the pattern to buy the thing and move forward in that direction, that you choose to say, I'm going to communicate this with my partner. It's probably the hardest thing to do in relationship is when you feel the most vulnerable to turn towards your partner and share that, especially if there's a history of shaming and it's not intentional. Your partner never wants to shame you. They just want you to be happy and healthy. But when you keep making unhealthy choices, then it's hard to be happy for you. Right. So right. Choosing in advance how you're going to deal with this unhealthy pattern. And when one partner starts to choose something different, it becomes easier for the other partner partner to also choose that healthy path. I also recommend couples to have three money buckets, your account, my account, our account. Everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people assume that once you get married or you partner up that it's you have to just have one bank account and put all your money into that bank account because that's what you do. You love each other, all, you know, all for one and one for all. But I find that in my experience, couples who have a lot of disagreements or have these sort of tendencies to hide purchases or be resentful of each other when the other person buys something without telling them about it, that it's because there's this tug of war with the money that is sitting in their joint account. But having your own account in addition to that joint account that perhaps is fueled with a fraction of your income and it could be an equal percentage, you put in 10%, he or she puts in 10%. And that's money that you can spend any which direction you want. It's guilt-free spending. And and I find that that alone helps to squash a lot of the the battles, the mini battles around spending in the household. And also I think because couples are getting more serious in with each other later in their lives. Like I know I got married in my 30s. Some people aren't getting married until their 40s. Forget even marriage. Some people are just living together. And you you arrive in the relationship having had a lifetime of supporting yourself and making your own financial decisions. So it can be kind of a, a cold splash of water in the face when your partner is suddenly like disagreeing with you on how you've been going around about spending <laughs> your money for your entire adult life. Yes. So with that, I think having your own account maintains your autonomy to a degree, which I think can be really healthy. I, I 100% agree with that. And the the dynamic that you're talking about right now, when if you've lived your whole life pretty much making your own financial decisions, and then you partner with someone and you join all of your money, 
what happened. And then they have an opinion about how you spend your money. That is what we call the parent child dynamic. And it is one of the biggest passion killers on the planet, which is when your partner turns, turns into your parent or you turn into the parent. Financial mommying and financial daddying. Yeah. It's the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a big passion killer. So I 100% agree. And I like to teach that, um, that it's by percent. So your separate accounts can be by percent of your income. So if she makes more or if he makes more, whoever makes more, that's the percent that goes into those separate accounts. So that's just another way to look at that too, so that you don't have to say, oh, I only get this amount because we're splitting it 50-50. It doesn't have to be 50-50. All right. Let's talk about your financial life. And I'm, I'm going to start with our Chase Slate question, which is, what is Marla, a big ticket item that you are currently saving up for? Ooh, I like that question. Well, I always put 10% of everything that I earn into a wealth fund, which is a fun, frivolous, asset-based fund. So it's something that actually is going to be for an asset. And I don't know what it is yet, but we're saving money for that thing. I, I think it's probably a house or a property somewhere, um, maybe a commercial property. We actually were entertaining buying a hotel what? in Los Angeles. I would and, go. And you, I think, well, you, you seem very <laughs> hospitable to me. Oh my gosh. I love hosting dinner parties. Yes. You are welcome anytime, <laughs> <laughs> but a hotel where we could actually have, you know, Mattinson coaching and consulting headquarters. Mm-hmm. And then people could just come and stay at the hotel for fun and that actually have our nonprofit in the sort of the lower floors. So we have kind of big visions about this. <laughs> Whoa. Like a Marla center. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like a, I'm thinking like, um, Deepak Chopra has the Chopra centers. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Sure, the the Mattinson chat, the Mattinson centers are, um, I'll work on it. I'll work on the name okay, for we you. Got, we got to work on it a bit. <laughs> still building, still building. <laughs> All right. Let's go back in time for a bit to that, that transition you had from working as a teacher. And although you were doing the coaching still on the side, you mentioned t- in mm-hmm. tandem to the teaching, but at some point you went full blown, you know, coach and today, fast forward today, you're making a lot of money. You, you, you know, you're very expensive. You work with high, um, high, some high profile Academy Award winning actors, which offline I'm going to ask you all about because I want to know who these people are. <laughs> I know you won't tell me, but I, I got to ask producers, directors, coaches, millionaire entrepreneurs, Grammy winning artists. These are your people. Um, when you made that, fi- that jump, that career leap, what was that transition like? Because, you know, there's a – I always like t- – yeah, people think you make all that money overnight. But there was probably a period when you were building the plane as you were flying it, like building up this practice as you were making less, a lot less. Yes. So take me to that time in your life because I find that those are always the periods in our lives where that really define us. Yes. So – so here's the thing. So, you know, I live in Los Angeles, so I've been working with, you know, people in, in the business, all different types of the business, right? Music and entertainment business for many years as a doula and then coaching throughout. And 
I never really cared all that much about money. I, you know, I'm a little embarrassed to say that it just was not on my radar. I always had more than enough money. I always traveled. I did what I wanted to do. And I never really thought much about it. I just moved from my place of intuition. Okay, here's what I'm doing. I'm loving it. Oh, when in that car accident, now I'm going to listen. Oh, I'm going to study mathematics. That's bizarre. Okay, I'm going to do that anyway. And then I became a high school math teacher with inner city kids for seven years. And so money, it was just, oh, okay, well, here, this is the salary that they give you. And then I always did more. I was department chair, and then I was a Common Core coordinator, and I did all kinds of other things. I taught teachers around the country math and pedagogy. And so I always made more than the, the, than the minimum. And then I got the intuitive hit. It's time to move on from teaching and go back full-time into coaching and break through any money mindset material that you've ever had. That was the message that was very clear to me. And so I invested in a high-level coach, a business and mindset coach, to help me break through my financial limitations in my mind. And um, I spent over $500,000 with him um, over the course of a couple of years. And it was worth every single penny. And most people think I'm a little nuts. Some people still think I'm a little nuts for investing that much money. Um, but it, it was incredible. I was, what was the most life changing thing that he taught you? Because I don't want to spend $500,000. I want to just ask you what you learned and then apply it. Oh, good. (laughs) Here's it because, and and you love to ask about the money mantra. Here is my money mantra. Mm. If I, if I desire it, then I can have it. I need to earn it. Right. So it's not just randomly spending money because I have a desire for something. It's if I really have a desire for something, even to start a program or start a 501c3, a nonprofit organization, anything that I desire, I can have. If I have a desire for it, that means it's already here. It's already manifest in the form of desire. Therefore, it can manifest in physical form. And that means I'm being called to a higher level of engagement in order to actually manifest that in physical form. So whether it's my car or whether it's a trip, um, we lead uh, private couples retreats all around the world. Um, Whatever it is, if I have a desire to do, be, or have something, then I can. And that is my, not only my money mantra, but that is also my mantra for life. And that's how we live the life of a growth-based mindset that teaches how to go beyond what you think is possible. And then circling back around to the practical, you also have to take a look at, well, what's actually happening right now in my accounts? What's possible in my accounts right now? And then how can I move beyond what I think is possible to what I desire? So give us an example of how you manifested something with that money mindset. Okay. Um, So the first, so I had hired this coach. His name is David Nagel. I hired him and for a year. And then there was an opportunity for me to go to Belize to go on an, on an extra trip with him, which was with four people. And at the time, I think it was about $36,000 to go on that retreat plus airfare. And I thought, well, how am I going to do that? The most I had ever made in a month 
take home was about $3,500. Okay. As a teacher. And so I, I knew I wanted to go. I felt inside. I need to be on that retreat. I didn't know why I didn't know how it was going to happen. I had no idea. And I listened to his coaching and we, you know, I had programs set and, you know, my earlier programs were less expensive than they are now. And he said, go sell X many programs to bring that in or something else. And so what did I have to do differently? I had to actually put myself out there. So I started posting on Facebook. Hey, did you know I'm doing coaching? I made phone calls. Hey, if you know anybody who's interested in relationship coaching, please keep me in mind, you know, all the basic things about letting people know what you're doing because sitting on the floor and meditating and, and hoping that this is going to come in is not enough. We have to actually take action. We have to take action from a place of a growth mindset, meaning this absolutely not only can happen, it's already done. You have to see it as already done and feel what it feels like internally that it already has happened. And what does it feel like after it's already happened? Like after I brought in the $40,000 that it took to go on that retreat and pay for airfare and tips and all that kind of stuff, what, what it would feel like. I had to imagine that first. And so, you know, it's a lot of law of attraction kind Mm. of things, but, um, he actually teaches that it's not a law of attraction. You don't have to attract anything. It's a law of manifestation. It's already here. And it's amazing because as soon as you open your eyes to the opportunities, meaning who could I actually help? How can I be of service? How can I help people? Every single day, that's where I come from is how can I help someone? Who can I help today? Who needs my assistance today? And that's how I, my life is guided. So even back then, my first toe dip into that was, okay, not coming from the place of, I need to bring in this money, but coming from the place of how can I be of service while bringing in this money? And that I think is a big mindset shift, or it certainly Mm. was in terms of really being of service while bringing in larger and larger sums of money. And now, yes, my, you know, we, we have a seven figure business and it is really incredible to just know that, if something arises that we want to do, we can do it because the money is always coming in and we're being of service because we're changing lives of couples who are impacting thousands and millions of people, right? We, we work with the influencers who are impacting others. And so when their relationships change, everybody's relationships around them start to change and how they teach changes and the message they send out changes. And that like we're behind the scenes, with, with all these people. And that's what just totally turns me on. (laughs) I cannot agree more, especially with the part about if you are an ambitious person, a financially ambitious person, and you want to make more money, sometimes I think, especially I'm going to generalize here, but I think sometimes with women, we feel as though the desire to make more money is a, is not a virtuous thing, right? Like because we associate money with power in the worst possible way. You know, we see people with money do terrible things and it's not something that we are conditioned to necessarily strive for. I think men are more in that lane. And I'll just speak personally, you know, I think I hit a place in my career a few years ago where I was like, okay, money's good. I've got savings. I can support my family. And if I want more money, I'm just 
being greedy. Like, come on, Farnoosh, like just be happy with what you have. And I certainly was grateful. But I think that as soon as I started to see how my financial strength and wealth could not just be a plus for me and my family, but for my extended family, my community, the world. Like like you said, if you can actually shift your mind to see you as having money, as someone who can be having power to help people, to be of service to people, I think that completely changes your belief system around money. And it's great. It's a great motivator to say, you know what? I need to actually make more money because when it's in my hands, think good things will happen. Yes. I absolutely love what you're saying. First of all, this is a huge topic that I deal with all the time. I wrote an article in um, entrepreneur.com in the Dear Marla column about that, which is ambition is a positive thing. Okay. First of all, it's natural. It's natural to want more. Not only that, it's the law of the universe. The universe is always for more life. So it's always getting internally that meaning that we make out of ambition and how we shame ourselves for wanting more. It's actually, that's what's unnatural. What's natural is wanting more. And by the way, all of us always want more. Women in particular always want more. And this might not be PC, but I don't care because we definitely always want more. We want to feel filled and we want more and more and more. We rarely get satiated. And when we do, here's a little relationship tip. When you feel satiated by your partner ever in any way, shape or form, let's say he brought you flowers. Let's say, um, you know, he ran a bath for you, or he just gave you an amazing hug, or you made love or something, you turn towards him and you say, I feel so satiated by you right now. That will feed him for a week. Okay. (laughs) Because they're men are are so basic. They're so easy. All they want to do is please us. And so they work so hard to try to please us. And if they never get that that return satiation of, Hey, I feel filled. Thank you. I feel amazing right now. And it's because of you. If they never get that reflected to them, then they start giving up. They start not giving as much because what's the point. And so when we turn towards our partners in moments, once a day is a perfect formula. Once a day, you turn towards your partner and let them know genuinely where you feel satiated by them in the moment. It's going to do wonders for the relationship. And coming back to the ambition, we always want more. And so we never, ever make that wrong. It's, oh, okay, I want more. Great. So how can I be of service while bringing in more. And by the way, when I bring in more money, I can employ more people. If I'm employing more right. people, then they're providing for their families. Great. When, you know, we want to, we're going to about to start a 501c3 for inner city kids to bring in, um, um, professional musicians and artists to mentor very talented kids. And so that if I wasn't making enough money to sustain something, then how could I turn any attention towards that project where these kids need this? You see what I'm saying? So more is always a good thing. Yes. The column is such a great idea, a wonderful way for you to be more accessible to people. And good news, listeners, Marla is looking forward to hearing from you. She wants your questions, right? You're actually hoping that you'll get people to ask you some some tough questions about relationships. 
We love juicy questions on the Dear Marla column. We absolutely love that. We can we accept questions on the website, on my website, marlamanson.com, or on Facebook, you can send me a private message. We have lots of great questions that have already come in. We're always accepting more, especially if you have a real tender, vulnerable question that you just don't want to ask anybody, ask me. <laughs> ask Marla. <laughs> Dear Marla, please ask me. <laughs> okay, we'll be sure to include those links at so many podcast.com in case anybody missed them to be able to send you a question. That's such a great resource. Thank you. How did you land this entrepreneur column? Well, I have to give a huge shout out to a few people. One, of course, is Chris Winfield, and he is that master connector. I went to his event in July of last year, and I met the amazing Andrea Huspeni, who is special projects director over there. And she connected me with Liz Weber, who is one of the editors, and I pitched it to them. And I had written an article for them um, about 10 things you should never say to your lover in a, if you're in an entrepreneur, entrepreneur relationship. <laughs> so that column went well. And then um, I just made those connections. I pitched it to them and they said yes. And so we sent some columns off and, and it's been a go. So it's, it's about putting yourself out there. If you have a desire for something, you have to put yourself in a situation where you are around people who can connect you, number one, um, and to be unapologetic, to say, hey, I have something of value that really could really help your audience. And you have to really know that that's true. And if it is true, then just unapologetically go and share it until you get what you want, what you really desire. Listen to the vision that's trying to flow through you and, and take action. And then if you don't get the results that you want, instead of making yourself wrong in any way, shape or form, you use that time to reflect and reflect back on, hmm, what did I do that worked? What did I do that didn't work? And then what can I shift? And then you fill yourself up again. And then you start shining out with that generosity and you start being the person that would easily get a column in entrepreneur or that somebody would want to help you get published in fortune or money or time or, you know, some magazine that really speaks to you, meaning speaks to what you do for a living. What, what value can you bring to these publications? Because there's always people who are looking for valuable material to share with their audience everywhere, all kinds of magazines and podcasts and, you know, lots of venues where you can share your knowledge with others. Yes. Especially these days with the digital, with everybody reading everything online. And I know people who work behind the scenes at online sites, they need content yesterday. <laughs> they need what? content all the time. It's not just like once a day, it's 12 times a day. So if you can, and yeah. Yeah. I just want to say one more thing about that, which is what I do. Of course, it's all about relationships, right? So if you are building relationships genuinely with people that you enjoy, then you know, when you actually want to pitch something, then it's easier to say, Hey, I also have this thing I'd love to share. If it works for your audience, I think this could be a good thing for them. Right. So it's about building relationships with people. And, and, you know, sometimes it's scary to get out there and say, Hey, can I share my information with you? Is this going to work for your audience? And instead of coming from a place of fear or like, oh, this isn't going to work, get in that growth mindset and say, yes, I know that this is valuable. So I hope it works for your audience. I'm not sure if it does, but here, what do you think? And really put yourself out there with relationship building. Marla, I want to ask you some so many fill in the blanks. May I? 
Yes. All right. You've been so great. And we could talk obviously for many more hours. And I want people to continue the conversation with you through your online column and your website, which will have all that back on so many podcast.com, all those great links. But before I let you go, Phil, finish these sentences. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million dollars these days, I mean, it's probably even more. The first thing I would do is put it in the bank. <laughs> and, and then hire a financial advisor to help tell me what to do after a year. I have already planned this. If that ever happens, oh, which yeah? actually you have, you have to play the lottery in order to actually win. Do you play win. the lottery? I, no, I don't. Okay. I don't. Well, <laughs> but if I did, uh, I would hire your own me. luck. You know what? You just yes. you create your own luck. <laughs> the one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Oh, Help employees and, um, you know, my amazing housekeeper and, you know, help. That's help. what makes life easier. Yes. I heard I read the other day that the number one attribute that employers really like in their employees, I guess it was maybe people who are um, liked at work or, or perceived as confident are actually the ones who ask for help more than others. You know, like the the colleague that will come up to you and say, can I use your – I mean, not the one that's like always <laughs> asking for help, but, you know, when they recognize that they don't know something. I think that, that we're sometimes afraid to mention that we don't know something because it will show like that we're weak, but actually can be a sign of strength. So – Oh, yes. I thought that was a really good piece and a good reminder. All right. One thing I love to splurge on your guilty pleasure is? Self-care, self-care and travel. If you look at my expenses for the year, probably the highest is in travel. (laughs) Where do you love to go? Where have you been the most outside of the U.S.? Oh, gosh. I go a lot of different places. I'd have to say France, Paris, Paris city is of, love. Definitely, of course, uh, of course, right? It they haven't named heart. the city after you already. Like there's not like a street, like a Marla. <laughs> oh, uh, that's happening. Rue next de year. Marla. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. Rue de Marla. Uh, yeah. That's actually, that's a nice ring to it. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is, and I didn't even get to your childhood, which I normally do with guests. Where were you um, raised? Los Angeles. I'm, oh. I'm, yeah, I'm from LA. Born and raised. All right. So one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is? Ooh, how to invest. Yeah. Yeah. How to invest. Does anyone ever learn how to invest? I mean, yes, certainly people do, but it's so rare. It's so rare. We forget to just teach kids how to save, forget invest. Right. Right. Well, my mom taught me how to save. My mom taught me that you know, she went with me to the bank. And by the way, it's my mom's birthday today. Oh, happy right. birthday, happy mama. birthday, Marla's mom. Oh, <laughs> shout out for my mama. Um, yeah, she taught me how to save. She took me to the bank. We opened my first savings account. And she, I remember her saying, okay, if you want to buy a shirt and it costs $20, this is a long time ago, obviously, then you have to make sure you have to know how many hours do you need to work in order to buy that shirt? And, and that little thing just had me think about money in a particular way about you have to earn what you're going to spend. And then going through coaching, I actually had to break through that limitation that you can actually spend more than you're earning if there's a long-term plan in place, right? So in any case, that's, yes, that is savings is my mama taught me that. 
Thank you, Mama, and happy birthday to you. (laughs) All right. One, let's see. When I donate, I like to give to blank because? Oh, we have a number of charities we like to give to. Charity Water is number one because they are, I love the way they have a GPS system that you can see what wells uh, and what communities are actually being helped by your money all uh, in Africa in particular. And they, a hundred percent of donations go towards actually building an actual community all administration fees and everything, they raise money separately for that. And so I really love that. And the other one is Vipassana as taught by SN Goenka. I've been sitting meditation since 2003, um, 10 days silent meditation retreats. And so we always donate to Vipassana meditation, which is dhamma.org, D-H-A-M-M-A.org. Dhamma.org. Charity Water is so brilliant in how it, in, in every way, like, first of all, the charity is so wonderful what they do, but then also how they are structured and the way that they um, make their donors feel so good, like you said about, I think having that transparency is so key. I it's a love big lesson for anyone starting a, a nonprofit. I love everything about what they're doing. I think it's phenomenal. I love their commercials. <laughs> yes. Yes. Everything. <laughs> All right. And last but not least, I'm Marla Mattinson, relationship coach. I'm so money because. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I'm so money because money doesn't rule my life. Desire does. Nice. Thank you so much, Marla. We appreciate you. And uh, I know why you're so expensive. You're good. You're great. And we just are happy that we got to catch you for 30 minutes and shine some parts and wisdom. Uh, to Thank you audience. so much. Thank you. And happy birthday to your mama. Happy birthday, mama. <laughs> Thanks so much to Marla for stopping by. Her website is marlamattinson.com. As she mentioned, she writes a regular column for Entrepreneur, which I often share on my social media. Her Instagram is at Marla underscore Mattinson. All this info back at somoneypodcast.com. Visit us there. Sign up for the newsletter. Get to know when episodes are coming out. Also get some behind the scenes on my work and life. And click on Ask Farnoosh. I want to co-host with you if you're interested and also leave me a question there for our Friday Ask Farnoosh sessions. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money. Money.